You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. How are you guys doing, church? Still hugging. I love seeing all the hugs and the connection. This is awesome. Well, hi. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jorley, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we, this is Patricia. Everyone say, hi, Patricia. Uh, she, she is in uh, grade eight, and she will be reading our scripture today. We are going to be reading off of um, in Matthew 7. So if I can invite you guys all to join us and stand as we read um, God's word. All right, so this passage comes from Matthew chapter 7, and it's from verse 7 to 11. It's called Ask, Seek, Knock. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or, if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. This is the word. This is the word of God. Sorry. Thanks be to God. Good job, Patricia. That was awesome. Can we just put our hands together, Patricia? Um, I will put this here for Sonia later. Awesome. Well, uh, like I said, my name is Jorley. Oh, please take a seat. <laughs> you can stand the whole time, but that's going to be a really long time. Um, so like I said, my name is Jorley, and I'm one of the pastors here. And so if we haven't had a chance to meet, I oversee kids and youth. So I get this opportunity to serve alongside our teams that serves in those areas. But I also get to hang out with kids and youth where I get to get to know them, hang out, we play games, and then just get to do life and learn and grow in our faith together. And so... Um, I really believe that this generation can really make a huge impact right right where they are, in their communities, in their families, just, just where they are. We don't have to wait until they're an adult for them to make an impact. They can do it now. And why I believe they can do that is because I, if they just are able to capture who they are in Christ and be able to share that with their friends and families and neighbors. And it's just going to make a huge impact. And a big part of that, thanks to is as well as um, is our teams and people who are investing and discipling into these kids and youth's lives. And so this is my shameless plug is that, (laughs) um, is that if you love Jesus and would love to share the the gospel, um, and you are looking for a place to serve, we would love to invite you and to talk with you if, um, if it would be a right fit for you to fit uh, to, to be a part of the kids team or youth team. So in September, we're starting our 11.30 a.m. service. We're starting our kids service again. And as you heard, on September 17, on, on Sunday night, we are starting a service to help open up our space for those who don't know Jesus. Um, but we also wanna serve the families that come. And so we're building our kids team. And so if you would like to be a part of that, we would love to chat with you. And then we have youth on Thursday nights and middle school Sundays. So lots of opportunity to be a part of the team to serve and join. So now that my shameless plug is out there, put it in your pockets, think about it for later. Um, Over the past couple months, we have been in a series called A New Humanity. 
We have been going through one of Jesus's most um, famous teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. And so together as a church family and community, we have essentially been drinking through a fire hose of literal life-changing wisdom. And like many of you in your groups, my community, community group has been talking about and discussing these topics about how it applies to our life and how we can implement it. And we've talked about what it means to be in right relationship with God and with others. And so, and let me tell you that as we've been going through this teaching, not only has it been beautifully challenging, but has honestly felt like an excavator for my heart. For those that don't know, an excavator is like this huge machine that, um, that digs um, uh, into the soil. And um, as we've been going through Jesus' teachings, um, it's stirred up things in my heart that I felt like I've either resolved or I didn't think I had an issue with. And so uh, as we have gone through this series, I have seen and um, felt the Holy Spirit nudge at me in different um, areas of my life. And I hope that that has been the same for you too. And so today we're going to be exploring the truth that God is a trustworthy God and we can go to him with our requests. But before we do that, we need to do a quick overview um, of our series because Jesus has brought up different topics to help us get to where we are today. And I'm going to go through it quickly just to see where we're going in our specific passage. But if you've missed some of the messages, we do have it online, so feel free to listen to it. But one of the things that we need to make a mental note of is how the original hearers would have heard the sermon, uh, would have heard the sermon on the mount all at once. We have had the opportunity to break it down, um, and, but Jesus shared it all in one go. And so there's a tension um, in reading our passage because it's a part of a biblical picture. We started in chapter 5, and now we're in chapter 7. And so Jesus is starting to conclude and summarize the points he has addressed. So throughout this message, Jesus wasn't just teaching about behavior change, but Jesus is teaching about a heart change. When we think about wanting to change something um, in our lives or or in us, whether that's a habit, an attitude, or anything really, we all know that in order to get real lasting results, there needs to be an inward change. And willpower is just not enough. At the end of the day, what we do is a result of what's going on inside of us. We see this when Paul talks about it in Romans 7.15. When he says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And so throughout these chapters, Jesus has been going back to what's happening inside your heart. Who are you worshiping? Is there a tiny God in there somewhere that you're worshiping alongside me? Well, at the same time, it's actually reorienting us in how to best love one another as well. It's forcing us to look at one another um, in a dignified way. You know, it's reminding me that you and I are created in the image of God. And we could possibly see things entirely different, but the value you hold is still as a child of God. And, And that is just a very dignifying way to look at life and humanity. And so through chapters five to seven, Jesus talks about prayer and addressed how we should and should not pray. And so in Jewish culture, praying to God to Yahweh was normal and really encouraged. It was a part of their daily rhythms and rituals. 
But the idea of praying to a father-like figure that Jesus introduces in the Lord's Prayer was a whole different approach for the disciples and the crowd. They knew that God was strong and powerful, but to refer to God and see God as a father was a mind-blowing concept. Jesus was introducing the idea of a personal relationship with God, a relationship that required intimacy. In Jewish culture, when you heard the word Abba, it refers to a very intimate relationship. It's a little daughter and her father um, spending a moment together and laughing about an inside joke that they have together. It's a son and his father having um, a heart-to-heart about things that he's struggling with, but his father is there as comfort. And which leads us to our passage today. Ask, seek, knock. So we see that there are present, uh, these are present and active words. It's telling us to do something, to act, and to respond. So this is a passage about prayer. But what does this mean for us today? What is a passage like this asking us to do in our modern world? Well, we're going to look at three things um, as we dive into this passage, and that is the challenge, the invitation, and the promise. We're going to look at the challenge of the text, the invitation, like what exactly is Jesus inviting us into, and the promise. And so I do want to address the challenge that a passage like this has, Um, especially when we're just focusing on just this portion of the passage. Some of you have heard uh, these verses before, and you've been on the other end where you have asked, and you're either still waiting, um, or it seems like your prayer just was, was never heard or worse, never answered. And others of you who hear this passage, and like me, have had your reservations when hearing, a, uh, when hearing a message about how we can come to God about anything. You might be thinking of the prosperity gospel, or you've heard televangelists talk about how we can name it and claim it. Essentially, treating God like he's some kind of genie in a bottle to get whatever we want, whenever we want. And so both of these are very understandable concerns. To be honest, as I was studying uh, through this passage, I wrestled with it, and I wrestled with it hard. Um, Not because I didn't believe in prayer, but because I didn't know how to make of the simple and straightforwardness of this passage. Is it really this easy? And so I wrestled through the questions of unanswered prayer, and like many of you, I have been on the other end of what feels like unanswered prayer. And so if you are here and you have wrestled with the pain of unanswered prayer, I want you to know and to hear that you are in good company. I have found comfort um, as I read through the Bible um, to see how it's filled with people dealing with the same pain and find so much resonance in how they've written about their experience. We see this in the Psalms, Psalms of Lament, or just all throughout the scriptures. And I've also met others who have struggled with what feels like God's absence and silence um, at different times in their life. So this time together is not to disregard that pain if you're in the midst of that. I want you to know that I acknowledge the pain that comes in that season. It is painful, and it's certainly hard. So today, I recognize that there's some real-life challenges when addressing a passage like this, but As I continue to study this passage, I have found that there is a beautiful call in it for us as followers of Jesus. So 
What is this passage asking of us? What is the invitation? Frederick Dale Bruner, a Bible scholar, wrote, whenever this passage is read with simple faith, it will take one's breath away. Six different times and six different ways, Jesus almost begs us to pray and promises solemnly that simple asking receives, simple seeking finds, and simple knocking opens. When we look at this passage, Jesus is inviting us to come to God and to ask him for the things that we need. And when I say things, I'm not only talking about material things. It can be that, yes, but I am also referencing things like forgiveness, patience, boldness, or more of the Holy Spirit. I love how Jesus says, just ask. Ask God and he will give it to you. Just seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Just do it. Ask him. When I read these verses, it feels like Jesus is encouraging us to be bold in our asking. It's saying that you don't even have to be extravagant for your prayers to be heard. You simply just need to go to God and ask. And so as we continue to read um, the passage into verse 8, Jesus says, Because everyone who asks receives, and the seeker finds, and the person who knocks gets doors open, Jesus is trying to be as clear as he can in saying, Hey, the way to receive from the Father is to talk to him. When we talk about prayer, it can feel like such a vague term, right? But what is prayer? Prayer is an umbrella term for all types of interactions with God. But prayer is simply the medium through which we communicate and commune with God. When we pray, we are learning to set um, aside dedicated time to intentionally be with God. When we spend time with God, um, it helps us know him more. His desires and his heart, which forms us. The end goal of prayer is to deepen our relationship with God. So when Sam and I started dating about 13 years ago, uh, we made Tuesday nights our date night. And so to this day, Tuesday nights continue to be our date night. All throughout our relationship, uh, we've stuck to having a date night because it was a time that we knew was going to be set aside for each other, you know, to grow in love with one another, to see what's happening, how our feelings are, all that kind of stuff. Um, our lives could be busy, but, these, but the date nights were, were, was reserved for us. And so now our date nights have started to look a little bit different with two young kids compared to when we were first dating, but the time is still set aside to be together. Just like setting time aside for date night, setting a time up for prayer does the same thing for our relationship with God. It acts as a place to deepen our relationship with God. The time in prayer helps us to know God better and to help us know who we are before God. It's where we get filled for the weeks ahead. It becomes the place where we know more of God, that we start to know who he is despite our struggles and um, struggles and ways of life. So from chapters five to seven, Jesus is taught on prayer at least three times, each time having a different focus. And sometimes we can think of prayer um, as a time for us to not even think about our own personal needs or wants. I know I struggle with this, especially being in the church for a while. I struggle with the idea of my requests or ask being more selfish. But we forget that when Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, that that was a prayer in teaching us on how to pray for the, for the things we need to. Give us our daily bread. So why do you think Jesus is emphasizing the idea of prayer to his disciples? To ask, to seek, to knock. 
Well, I think Jesus thinks his disciples struggled with a major lack of faith. And that's crazy for us to think about, hey? As 21st century Christians, we only have the scriptures to refer to, but the disciples struggled um, with a lack of faith, even though they were walking with Jesus. They, were, they walked with the literal son of God and still struggled with their faith. And as a side note, I just love how the Bible normalizes doubt and, lack, and, and a lack of faith. That is just a part of the human life. And so in the Jewish tradition, uh, one of the ways they learned to pray was through petitionary prayer. Petitionary prayer being as asking God to fulfill a need. And now there's nothing wrong with this type of praying. This is just more to help us recognize how the disciples potentially saw or responded to prayer. That it was potentially more about following a system, a rule, a duty, or something that they learned to do, but it didn't have a lot to do with relationship. Scott McKnight wrote, uh, wrote, writes that Jesus teaches that his disciples are to go to God, ask him, and expect him to respond. Why does he need to say that? Because the disciples are wondering if God will answer their prayers. I feel like this sounds like me. And maybe that sounds like you, too. As we read through verses seven to eight, it's important to note that it isn't a promise that everything everyone will ask will be given, but instead it is addressing doubting disciples. Doubting disciples who need to be assured that God indeed loves them and that they can trust God. Jesus then starts to anchor these requests to God's goodness. We continue to read in verse 9 that even an utterly selfish parent would give their child what they ask for. So how much more will your father in heaven who knows how to give good gifts, give good gifts to you who ask? So this is really the climax of this passage because Jesus is telling the people that we can trust God with the things that we want and need. That God is a good father and cares for what we need and he cares about us too. And so this isn't a focus on what the disciples can bring with their prayers, but it's really a focus on how much more the Father brings to us. And as some of you know, I have two little girls, Harper and Kinsley. Um, They are the sweetest and most energetic little girls. Uh, They for sure keep me on my toes. Um, But one of the things that I've observed about my kids specifically is how they know how to express what they want when they want. And um, I'm just enjoying this season so much with my oldest as well. I love watching her grow into more of who she is. Um, Her little personality is just becoming more extravagant. She's kind and sensitive and will definitely tell you when you're doing something wrong. Now, I know there's lots about her that I'm still learning as she grows, but I also know her. I know Kinsley. I know it's going to make her laugh what will make her happy, and what will make her upset. I know what she's going to like before she even knows, uh, knows that she's going to like it. And so when I'm in a store, I can spot from what feels like a mile away something that I know she would love. And when we're at a store, I'm usually there on a mission, you know. Being in a store with two low attention span kids is not my ideal way of spending my time. And so if we're running an errand, my goal is to get in and out of there as soon as possible. And so if you see me at the mall with them and it looks like I'm in a rush, the answer is I am. And so, um, but I can walk in the store and spot something that she would like. And if she happens to see it too and notices it, 
She'll probably publicly acknowledge it, pick it up, and talk about all the things that she loves about it. And without hesitation, she'll ask me if she can have it. Now, this isn't a story for you to determine if my parenting is good. Um, there, <laughs> there's many times, and she will tell you, that uh, we don't get the toy that she's asked for. But there have been times that we have. But my point is this. I love how she asks me without hesitation. I love how she can come to me and trust me enough to ask me for something that would be vulnerable for her to ask for. Which leads us to the promise of this passage. The beauty of this passage is teaching us that we can come boldly to God and ask. Not because we are deserving, but because he is a good father. And so for some of us here that grew up in the church, asking is hard. Um, because we wonder if we're being selfish or we're asking for the right things. And these are all good questions to ask ourselves. And it all comes back to what's happening in our hearts. What's in our hearts? Who and what are we worshiping? But at the same time, this also restricts us and holds us back from asking God anything out of fear that what we're going to ask for is too selfish or is going to disappoint God. The biggest thing Jesus is getting at with this passage is that the best thing you can do is to be in communion with God. And that means being in relationship with him. And that means talking to him about anything and everything. Bruner writes, we need to be reminded that asking is not, as some spiritual teachers tell us, more selfish than praise, which we are told is more God-centered. Or that asking is more selfish than intercession, which is said to be more neighbor-centered. Or that asking is more selfish than thanksgiving, which we hear is more humble. All six sentences of the Lord's Prayer are petitions. That is, they are askings. And the right way for disciples to appear before God is not as givers to a divine egoist, but as receivers from a generous father. There can be more self-centeredness in the praise understanding of worship, which assumes that we are the important actors and God the passive recipient, than there is in the asking understanding of worship, which lets God be God and us be human beings. Something happens to us when we know our, our identity in our place, that we are a child of God and we can come to him as a loving father who we know will take care of us and love us. And when we remember our place and position in this world, not as better than God, but rightfully in a place of a child who receives from God, our heart position is realigned. Not only are we positioned to be in commun communion with God, but we come to a place where we also just want to know and be with God. The relationship and the asking and the talking becomes more about being in relationship with one another than it becomes about the asking. Not because God doesn't answer prayer, but because it's not about manipulating God to get what we want. We suddenly become formed. We are formed and changed as we grow in our relationship with God. And so when you read a passage like this, it's easy for it to get abused and formed into different meanings. And believe me, it's out there. Um, but I was struck by one of the commentaries I was reading on this. I was just, I was, as I was trying to wrap my head and heart around this passage, it said that Jesus' concern wasn't about how what he was teaching could get abused because it could. His biggest concern was that we as his children would just come to God in the first place with those requests. And so this is good news for us 
because it's a reminder that we all need, that God wants us. He has given us the gift of request, the gift of relationship and willpower to be able to ask for what we want, need, ache for, all the things. Timothy Keller, a pastor, um, says the central basis of Christian assurance is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakable his heart is set on us. And so in Luke 11, in the same teaching um, on prayer, Jesus shares a parable about a friend coming to your door at midnight, asking for three loaves of bread. In verse 8, it says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Because of your shameless audacity. So this isn't saying that God is being forced to give us what we want, but this passage is saying how we have access to God. And when I was talking to John Hawes about this passage, he said it this way, how we can go into the throne room of God and ask the creator of every atom in the universe for help. And I love that. We have relational access to the creator of everything. Sit on that for a moment. God wants an intimate relationship with you. And in that relationship, he has given you the gift of being able to come to him. The, the gift of being able to come be vulnerable before our God. We can come with shameless audacity because he is our father and we are his child. And we have access to God because of Jesus. And so here we are. We have been given the invitation to come to God as a child with all of our requests, all of our needs. But there is also another portion that we need to look at when it comes to the promise. There's the act of seeking, uh, asking, seeking, and knocking. But on the other end, there's also the act of trusting. Trusting God that after we have asked, seeked, and knocked. And so when we read through this passage, passage it is saying that, um, that as a good father, God will give us what we need. Um, another passage that Timothy, or passage, another quote that Timothy Keller says about prayer is, God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. And so trusting requires an act of surrender to God. We're trusting that God cares about, in, about us individually. So there's an inv uh, invitation for us to come boldly, but also surrender. We ask boldly, and then we surrender to God's will, knowing that he is perfectly good. Our trust is in the fact that we know that God has our best interest at heart, and that God isn't playing around with our life. We can trust that God is as intentional with us as he is as in creating this world. We can trust him to give us what we need. And so remember uh, what Jesus was saying in verse 9 that even an utterly selfish parent would give their child what they ask for. So how much more will your Father in heaven, who knows how to give good gifts, give good gifts to you who asks? And so remember, the climax of this passage is telling us that God is a good Father, and he cares about us too. And going back to my story with Kinsley, I've built a relationship with her in her short life where she knows she can come to me when she needs something. And there have been and will be times that haven't given her exactly what she's asked for. And sometimes those decisions are based on the fact that I know what's best and right for her. And so sometimes, perhaps God withholds some things 
Because in the withholding, we end up with more of him, which is ultimately most important. Now, I know this doesn't fully solve unanswered prayer, but my hope is that as we read through these words of Jesus, inviting us to come boldly and to surrender to God, that we could take his words seriously, that if we ask, we will receive. And so what's the call for us today? Well, we're going to pray. We're going to pray because it's a gift that, we have been get, um, that we've been get, given to be able to know God more. We're going to pray because we've been given access to lay out everything we need, want, feel. We pray because God can handle our disappointments, our anger, and our sadness. We pray because he is a God that cares for you. He cares about your life more than you know and even understand in this moment. And so if I can invite the worship team to come up and also our prayer team. But we are going to have a group of trusted people up at the front that is able and willing to pray for you. And so there are two ways uh, that we can pray today. But I am going to heavily encourage being prayed for by someone. So the first is uh, to talk to God where you are. The worship team is going to lead us in some songs which will give us space to think and pray before our God. And our invitation is for you to just pray today, to talk with God. Ask him to reveal more of his goodness to you. Ask for him to speak to you. Go to him with the things that you need. But after today, continue to pray to him and to talk to God. Do it at work while you're cooking, changing diapers, doing drop-offs, going to school, eating, or wherever. Talk to God in your everyday moments. And then the second available option is for you to come up for prayer. Wherever you might be in your walk with God, I encourage you to come and get prayed for. Uh, God gifted us prayer, and it's, and it's a beautiful thing um, to be able to come and pray to him wherever we are. But God also gave us the church and his people. God gave us one another because he knew that life is just way better together than it is just by ourselves. And when we combine our faith together, it's just a beautiful thing. That's why worship is so powerful. Together we are proclaiming out loud God's goodness. This encourages my own faith. When I'm singing and I get to hear my neighbor singing out loud God's goodness, it encourages my faith, especially when I'm, I don't have the faith. It's not because, and it's not because we like to sing karaoke here, unless you're Filipino like me, then karaoke is life. But there is purpose to our gathering, to being together. In the beginning of the pandemic, um, my mom got COVID really bad. She went from getting really sick to having difficulty breathing uh, to getting rushed to the hospital. I remember getting a text from her uh, saying that she was on the way to the hospital. Uh, her health started to go down really quickly. For whatever reason, her body wasn't uh, responding to a lot of the treatments and she had to get intubated almost immediately. Um, and it was just really a long journey from there. She was put in an induced coma and was intubated for over 100 days. And she was on an ECMO machine for a really long time, which a lot of nurses here probably are like, it's usually sh as short as you can. You will only put them in for short. But for whatever reason, they added her, uh, they kept her on it for a really long time. 
my days throughout uh, were just countless conversations with doctors and nurses updating me of how she was doing. And you could imagine I was, I was just really tired through this season. On a week where it seemed like she was more stable, uh, I was just finishing up here at the church and I got a call from the hospital. At this point, I've memorized the hospital's number, so I knew it was a doctor calling. I slipped into my office and took the call. And the doctor essentially was telling me how we should probably plan to visit my mom um, with my family just to help to prepare ourselves um, to say goodbye. Um, After the call, uh, I called Sam right away to update him. And as you can imagine, I just cried. (laughs) I I cried from the season, the tiredness, the decision-making, just, you know, everything. And then he asked me, if it was okay, if we could ask the staff and elders to pray for my mom. I was so tired that I didn't even really know what to say. You'd think I would say yes and would have the faith, but I didn't. I actually wanted to say no because it really genuinely felt useless um, at that point. I sat there alone in the office debating if that was something I even wanted to do. But Sam in that moment shared his faith with me. He updated and asked our staff to pray, to gather and pray and continue to give them updates when I couldn't. But he, but he also believed that God could do a miracle. Even though I didn't necessarily believe it. And so it was because of his faith that helped me in those moments when I didn't have much faith. And so I know not all stories end like this. I recognize that. But miraculously, God did heal my mom. But my point in that story is this. In times when we can't carry on, we can link arms and borrow faith from one another. And that's why there's power in praying for one another. And so today we can come to God bringing all that we are. It's okay to feel weak as a church. It's okay to feel weak because as a church, we're meant to lift and carry each other's burdens. Not necessarily to fix each other's burdens, but just to help lift the weight of it. And one of those ways is just lending our faith to one another, not because we need more faith for something to happen, but just to stand with one another in prayer, believing for one another. And so there may be, so that's what we're inviting you to, is to come and pray and get prayed for. And so there's, might be a few different groups of people here when it comes to this moment, but if you don't find yourself in this group, that doesn't mean that you can't come up for prayer, please do. But there might be some people here who doesn't know God as being a good father that you can trust. Let me just encourage you to come. There might be another group of people here that have felt so much disappointment, pain, and sadness from prayers that you've brought to God, and some of you may even have given up. For some of you, it may have even impacted your, your belief in God. Or maybe you just stopped praying bold prayers to God. And maybe you're like me, where you're kind of thinking, what's the point when it's filled with so much disappointment? Could I just say that I see you? But could I gently encourage you to pray to God anyways? With your heartache, with your disappointment with everything because he cares for you. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.